What does Earth Day mean to you? Are climate conversations part of your personal or professional lives? How do you contribute to climate action already taking place in your community? The heritage and culture sector is privileged to support research, education, and action against climate change. This Earth Day, the BC Museums Association has invited seminar sector and the community at large to share, inspire, and help educate us all on the importance and interconnectedness of climate and the cultural heritage sector. My name is Koei Taylor, and I'm the Special Projects Coordinator with the BC Museums Association. In today's podcast episode, I'm joined by Raven Trust Digital Content Coordinator, Carissa Chandrakate. Krista, thank you so much for joining me for this special episode of the BC Maze podcast series. Before we get started, I'd love to learn a bit about Raven Trust and its mission. Yeah, so here at Raven, our goal is to fundraise. That's all we do is we fundraise to support Indigenous communities going to court to defend their rights, their lands, their cultures from colonial extractive industries. So we work with various Indigenous communities across Canada um, to support them in their goal to defend their land, essentially, and their water. And oftentimes these court cases are really expensive. You know, lawyers are expensive. The court cases in general are really expensive. So it's a huge, it's a huge gap there. So we try to bridge that gap to allow them to be able to have access to the court system by providing funds. And how does your team approach engagement and partnership with Indigenous communities? So it's usually them reaching out to us. Um, We can't approach a community and be like, hey, we see that you need help. Um, You're going to court or whatever, right? Like they have to come to us and let us know that they, they want support from us to be able to do that. So I don't know the whole logistics behind it. Um, That's another team member that deals with that but from what I understand they come to us they provide they submit an application we take it to the board and we see if it fits within our mandate and usually it does there's I think we've never actually maybe like one but we've never really turned down an application so most of the time they fit our mandate and you know like as settlers it's our responsibility to be able to support in this capacity so yeah, that's how it usually goes about. It's a very reciprocal process. Uh, we sit down with them. We try to understand the situation. And, you know, every step of the way, we try to get their input when it, go- when it, comes, from- when it comes to communications, graphic design. It-, it all needs to come from a place of reciprocity and openness and honesty because we are, you know, amplifying their voice essentially. So we don't really, we don't want to do things in a bad way. And obviously, um, these are some sensitive topics and situations, and communities obviously feel comfortable coming to Raven for assistance in the work that they're doing. How do you? How did you build that trust and that understanding? Um, you know, within Indigenous communities, that you guys are a resource for them to help with the work that they're doing. Well, I believe the trust comes from. Just the fact that we've been around for 11 years, 12 years now, and we've been doing this work, you know, relentlessly for for such a long time. And I think the trust just just comes from there and and through word of mouth. Uh, And, you know, we we like I said earlier, we really try to build that reciprocal, honest and open partnership and line of communication. That's a really important thing. 
um, you know, communication is everything, especially when you're working with communities who are putting your trust in you to amplify their voice and their story, because it's such a vulnerable thing, you know, this is their land, this is their culture that's being so extracted, it's, it's, it's so violating, you know, so to be able to hand that over to a small group of people to be able to tell the story in a way that, you know, supports them, that's a, it's a really vulnerable thing. So um, I would say communication, reciprocity, openness and honesty are, are the, the most important thing when building relationships, not, with, not just with Indigenous communities, but with anyone, you know, um, there's so much to learn just from being centered in those values, I think. And you can really feel that these communities are sharing those values and their stories with you in the campaigns mm-hmm. that we see online, um, you know, websites, social media. How do you go about using these stories to advocate for the preservation of, you know, the natural world, essentially, uh, and these Indigenous lands? And has the partnership with these Indigenous communities changed how you discuss the environment as opposed to, you know, an organization that is just settler-led and doesn't have these relationships with Indigenous communities? Are there stories or values that change how you discuss these environmental issues? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, every nonprofit, right? Any nonprofit that's working to, you know, serve the climate and serve the environment, it comes from a very colonial lens historically, right? Um, You know, like I went to school for environmental sciences, and I didn't learn anything about Indigenous sovereignty or Indigenous jurisdiction or anything like that, when they are the ones who protect most of the biodiversity in the world. So, you know, like coming into Raven, um, a lot of us, not just me, but a lot of us didn't know, um, like there's still a lot of really colonial terminology, like conservation in itself is a very colonial term. There's no word for that in Indigenous. I can't say for for all Indigenous lands, from what I understand, there's no word for it in some of, in some Indigenous cultures. It's just a way of being with the land, right? Um, a way, a way of being in reciprocity with the land. You don't, you, you, you give back to the land. You don't just take from it. And, you know, like a lot of our, especially in communications, we have to be very careful with that because, you know, words are power and English in itself is a very colonial language. The way we speak it, the way we write it, it's made to oppress certain groups of people. There's a lot of unlearning we have to do just, I I can't think of any at the top of my head right now, but conservation is coming to mind, like using that word and you know, changing it so that people can understand it's it's a reciprocal relationship with Indigenous worldview. And um, yeah, there's just a lot of things, you know, a lot of things we had to unlearn when it comes to, to working. And it's like all to me, it's all it's all spiritual warfare. These are things and values that are upheld in, in a lot of cultures, um, in a lot of spiritualities. And we just need to tap into that and, and remember that and learn to live it because mm-hmm. it's, it's all around us, you know, it's not just Indigenous people saying these things, it's, it's there in, in many cultures, we're just so distracted by colonial white supremacy. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of things we have to unlearn. And a lot of nonprofits are going through the same process, definitely. And I think many folks in the heritage and culture sector have begun to realize the importance of becoming an Indigenous ally um, mm-hmm. and really want to kind of get to that word 
ally. Cause I think a lot of people think that there are certain steps that they can take and others feel like maybe settlers specifically need to go a little bit further in order to become an ally. So for you, what is allyship? Um, and I know this is a big part of Raven. So how does, how does Raven as an organization ensure this remains an integral part of your work? Well, I mean, I can't say I can't speak for everyone as to what allyship is because, you know, I'm not Indigenous, so I can't say what allyship looks like to Indigenous people, but I can speak from a place of what has been accepted um, in terms of being in the space at Raven and working with these communities, for sure, because, you know, allyship looks different to so many different communities, so, you know, I can't really speak to that specifically, but I would say the biggest thing that has been well received from us is communication, openness, um, and ally means amplifying, essentially amplifying their voice, amplifying the voices of underrepresented communities um, in media and showing up, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. I know, I know it's hard for a lot of people to do that. A lot of our communications has been online. We do a lot of digital fundraising, but also showing up when they're on the front lines, because, you know, they're putting their bodies on the line constantly to have these rallies and have these, these blockades and, and, you know, it all ties into the justice system. So showing up physically as, as a white person or an able-bodied person to be able to, to stand with them because there's always strength in numbers, right? Someone asked me the question a couple of days ago about um, how does this how does this local movement trickle out to international movements? Well, it's all strength in numbers, right? Like Greta Thunberg, she was just one person and now she has the whole world behind her um, talking about climate justice. So yeah, allies, like, like those people were allies to her and it's all about showing up and amplifying and using your platform to be able to provide, you know, a space for these voices to be heard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned as a largely settler led organization and folks who are not indigenous, how do you effectively communicate or respectfully communicate the relationship between indigenous communities rights to their traditional lands and the protection of the environment? Because I, I think a lot of people see them as, as, as two different um, topics. You know, mm-hmm. you understand that um, these are the unceded traditional territories of First Nations communities in BC here, but then the idea of, um, you know, protecting the environment, climate change can often be seen as something separate. So yeah, how do you, do you, yes. how do you kind of mesh those two topics? Um, well, originally we weren't, really talking about the environmental aspects of it because you know like you said people don't know how to bridge that and to us that was something that a bridge that needed to be built there because you know we got a lot of our money from settlers who didn't understand the links and you know like we really wanted to our goal is to raise money and we're really in this place where we we're trying to speak to people and to speak to people where they're at, but also to kind of like bridge this gap between environmental justice and indigenous sovereignty. So it was really tricky. I feel like we're getting there right now and it's not just us. Um, You know, it's been a collective 
movement for the past three years, I'd say. Um, but it hasn't really been nonprofits doing that. Mm-hmm. It's been Indigenous people doing that. And I think with social media, um, that bridge has started to be built, you know, with the Wet'suwet'en occupation, with Pull Together and Trans Mountain Pipeline. It wasn't really nonprofits building this bridge. It was Indigenous people on the ground speaking and saying that they've been around for time immemorial and they protect 80% of the biodiversity just on the way that their way of life. So, you know, it's, it's the credit can't go to us. It can't go to nonprofit. It has to go to these communities. They're the ones who've been saying it for the longest time. And at Raven, we haven't really been talking about that because, like I said, we were trying to speak to people to at where they're at. And right now we are. We are starting to, we are not starting, like we're doing it now. We're bridging the gap between environmental justice and Indigenous sovereignty. But still, people don't know how to, you know, relate to that because they're looking at environmental justice from a very colonial lens, like conservation and ecosystem restoration and doing all those things but you know it doesn't have to be separate science and traditional knowledge can be brought together to create a system that um that works and that people can understand you know there's a lot to learn from science there's a lot to learn from indigenous wisdom for sure so is there anything with the partnerships that you have that these values are important in the campaigns that you have in expressing the value um, and the need to support these communities with the certain situations that they come to you with? I'd say that it goes hand in hand mm-hmm. at this point. You know, people see the tar sands, especially the oil sands out in Alberta, and they see Beaver Lake Cree Nation and they see that, you know, it's going to affect their way of life. It's going to affect their, their fish and their water and their land. And inherently, sometimes we don't even have to say it, mm-hmm. you know, um, inherently they're the ones protecting it. They're going to the court system because this is their way of life. You know, like this is their land. This is their culture. This is their territory. Um, what are they going to have if this gets ruined, you know? You're forcing them into this colonial way of living, which is not, it's not conducive to their well-being or any of our well-being. So I think also letting people know that Indigenous people standing up for their rights and to protect their land is also protecting the future of everyone on earth, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's not just to protect water on their territories protect water all around because water is linked you know it's linked to everything it links to the ocean the rivers everything so you know as a kind of a a museum cultural heritage organization um, for our members I think a lot of them have begun to understand the importance of sharing the stories uh, and the values of the indigenous peoples whose lands they occupy Mm -hmm. and so um, you know, that extends to the environment and the cultural value of the environment for Indigenous communities and kind of how do we how do we express that value in the work that we do respectfully and, and not appropriating right. stories and everything and just maybe I guess how yeah how Raven approaches that relationship when it comes to um, telling these stories of Indigenous communities whose campaigns um, kind of lead your work. Right. Yeah, the appropriation is such a huge thing. 
you got to be really careful with that for sure. Um, but with us, what we do is, you know, we run everything by the nation. We, we usually, they, they would like give us a rundown of what's happening in the, in the community. And usually the, the part about cultural ties, like they would write that for us and they would give us, um, they'd speak it to us usually. And we try to put it in a way that's not appropriate. And we run everything past them. Like we don't ever post things that has not been approved. By the nation mm-hmm. so that's a huge way of you know making sure that you're not appropriating anything you're not um saying things in a bad way so you know it all it all comes back to communication it all comes back to communication and reciprocity um that relationship that you have with with other people and other communities is the relationship you want to have with the earth right so it all ties together nothing's nothing's ever separate but definitely the appropriation is a huge thing and you know a lot of nonprofits are are learning it's it's not something you learn overnight it's something you make mistakes everyone makes mistakes and you know you can't be afraid of making mistakes that's just part of learning we're unlearning such a big thing white supremacy has been embedded in everyone's brain for the past 500 years or whatever whatever years it is. So it's, it's a lot to unlearn um, generations and generations of this colonial toxic buildup in our, in our minds. So we're all, we're going to make mistakes and it's all a spiritual journey. So just be in good communication, good openness, be open. Um, if you're unsure about something, just ask. Most of the time people are okay with that. It's better to ask and make a mistake, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, these last few thoughts make me think of how important it is to build relationships and have that open communication. And um, I really appreciate you sharing your insights and the work that Raven does with us. You know, um, you know, we're we're not kind of in the same sector per se, but I think that there's a lot of um, interconnectedness between the work that we do and um, b- building relationships is a such a important part of the BC Main. I know it is for you as well. So I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and, and sharing those insights. And, you know, I'd like to say for folks interested in learning more about Raven, um, please feel free to visit their website at raventrust.com and be sure to check them out on social media. As Chris mentioned, a lot of online campaigns. Thank you again so much for chatting with me. It was such a pleasure. Thank um, you. It's been so wonderful to chat with you too. Thanks again for listening to our special Earth Day podcast with Raven Trust. If you'd like to listen to more from the BCMA, visit our website at museum.bc.ca or anywhere you listen to podcasts. See you next time.